Yeah, I'm not even busting out the good mic for the pre-credit bit, so let's just get this over with. It's the Nightmare on Elm Street remake on this special episode of Scary Stuff. Welcome to a special episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is Eric Dellinger, joined by co-host Nick Leamy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this steaming pile of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob Jones Goldstein. Uh, Welcome to what's sure to be a very interesting podcast. Very interesting. (laughs) I'm about to say, if he leans in close enough, you might actually be able to hear the muscles in his shit-eating grin. <laughs> Me, I'm coming into this. Except we've been talking about this inevitability of an episode ever since we started this Elm Street franchise review. So I'm coming to this like that scene in Ed Wood where he's recording the octopus bit when he's filming Bride of the Monster. Just all right, let's shoot this fucker. <laughs> God damn, it's cold. It'll warm up. Fuck you. You come out here. <laughs> Speaking of when we started it, do you guys remember when our first Elm Street episode came out? December 17th of 2021. Wow. Oh, so we, we've beaten the recording of it by, uh, by a little bit. Of the recording, yes. Hopefully the release. <laughs> That's why I, t- I timed this time off I did. Hopefully we'll get it out so we can say we did the whole franchise in less than a year. But Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's practically an anniversary. It's, it's pretty well timed. And this is an eight-movie franchise, so we'll hence... How long is Children of the Corn going to take? Three it's years. Fucking age out. <laughs> After 3,000 years. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to decide on what franchise to start soon so we can uh, beat the next millennium. <laughs> Although I, I feel like with something like Children of the Corn, we can just, we're going to be able to knock out a few of those in like half an hour. It's like, I don't know, some fucking shit with corn. Like, number seven, pass. Number eight. <laughs> you know that dried up corn people hang? That's what this movie is. Yeah, I really want to do Children of the Corn. I haven't seen any of them. Really want to do it, but for that reason. Like, I, I want to dig into something that has like 10 superfluous direct-to-video sequels. I've never seen all of the first one in a single city. I sit there thinking of like Children of the Corn and Hellraiser in terms of direct-to-video sequels and sounding like we just did The Wicker Man. This is sounded like Summer I would Hellraiser's fine with seven direct video sequels, but oh, <laughs> Children of the Corn. Now that <laughs> that is a bounty of direct video sequels. <laughs> you know, I, I think maybe the best thing about our Wicker Man review is that we've added a new voice to Eric's lexicon here. It makes me so happy. The Christopher Lee voice. Yes. I couldn't keep it up for the reading. I was like, there's no way I can do this for all this exposition. There's so much. I don't know. I we we're getting closer to needing an episode where you're doing the like the head and ladder, and then you know we're gonna we're gonna function like halfway through. We're gonna do one of our old four movie episodes. The first one, your head and ladder. The second one, your uh, you know Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee. You know Robert Englund and uh, the Mangler. Ah, Mangler. yes, Ted Levine. Ted Levine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mention this now, too, like if in the point of because I'm sure one of the things we'll talk about in the course of this episode, we won't get into it quite yet. I got some some other stuff I want to tell us out first. But I say if like if we get into a discussion about like who else could have played Freddy Krueger instead of Jackie O'Haley, I was going to be one of my suggestions with Ted Levine. What do you want from me? Oh, you're going to bring the dead bird to life? What? 
What? Answer me! I don't understand the question! I love that your Ted Levine impression is basically the Swedish chef. Why are you screaming? I didn't even cut you yet. Oh, boy, we fucking peaked early on this one. Oh, I'm going to turn this one already. off. <laughs> so there's my dream recasting for me. Oh. oh. See, I'm going to have to think about that. I don't know, I don't know who I would cast for it. Well, I'm looking forward to discussing him. Believe it or not, yes. So I mentioned that real quick at the top. We've been teasing throughout. Like I said, I, I certainly have opinions on this film, but I'll, I'll say at the top, too. Like, this is going to be an interesting discussion, as Jake's smile indicated at the top. So. <laughs> This is going to be a blast. But what I'll say is I, I do have somewhat strong feelings on this film, but a lot of that leading up to it has been, you know, I'm sure we're going to lean into it in this episode too, because it's, you know, it's for comedy. We're here to entertain. And it's easier to do with this film because no one really involved with it seems particularly <laughs> proud of it either. <laughs> I was watching an interview with Kyle Gallner talking to Mary Beth McAndrews, and he talked about how he loves pulling up as he put it, shit post podcast, shitting on the Elm Street remake. <laughs> and he said, I'm not kidding either. He said, I love listening to it. So if you've got them, send them to me. So Kyle Gallner, if you end up hearing this, welcome. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. I like Kyle Gallner a lot. I do too. I'm sure we'll talk about him before we're done. But as always, like what you like. You know, we're not you know saying what what is or isn't good. If you like Jake it. Jake is. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Jake is. <laughs> <laughs> We got a fucking t-shirt about this shit. What are we talking about? Two-thirds of our podcast, they like what you like. <laughs> so I did want to toss that out there at the top. So yeah, we just, we're here to entertain. We are going to get into a serious breakdown of the film. But yeah, obviously, like what you like. Also, just at the top, as usual, spoiler warning. But also, in conjunction with that, a content warning on the off chance you haven't seen this. Those folks probably have, but on the off chance you haven't, there is increased discussion of sexual abuse in this elm street versus the previous ones significantly yeah and it's something we have to touch on because of how much it's a plot point so if that's a quick content warning if that's an issue yeah and like you said we are absolutely going to have to talk about that yeah yeah we will and it's not handled well so you know that might come up too that that, that centers my, my, my one biggest complaint of this film oh i have several but it's it's, it's on there <laughs> And real quick, we kind of did this in New Nightmare, but I'm just going to say this real quick. Again, doing this Elm Street series has been a blast. So if you haven't checked out our previous episodes on the series, please do. Absolutely. We had wonderful guests. We had Hannah Duggan, Nick's wife, joined us for the second. Yay! I like her. Haley Piper joined us for Dream Warriors. Yay. Steve Fox on Dream Master. Yay. Eric Anderson on Dream Child. Yay! And Cynthia Palayo on New Nightmare. Yay! So we had this wonderful collection of guests in the middle, and yeah. I get big thank you to all of them. Please go support them and everything they do because they're all fabulous creators. But we're bookending this. We started with just us. We're ending with just us. So here we go. <laughs> Off into the Elm Street remake. So let me just toss this out there. So I, I do a weekly call uh, with my father and my brother. You know, just a weekly Zoom, family Zoom kind of join. And we were talking tonight. My brother mentioned that he he watched the movie Awakenings, which is an old favorite of ours. Great part movie. Great. Because it was filmed in one of our friends' homes, or a lot really? of it was filmed. Yeah, in fact, they got they got like a lot of redesign work and, and housework done because the movie company fixed up their house to, to film it. It was in a brownstone in Brooklyn. Nice. And we were talking about it, and I said, "Well, that's better than the movies I've been watching lately." 
And said, well, what have you watched lately? And I said, well, I watched the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. And, you know, I said this in front of my father, who who is he's never really watched horror movies since like Abbott and Costello meet the mummy and has been <laughs> interested in watching horror movies. And so we got into a bit of a discussion because, you know, it's like what Nightmare on Elm Street. And, the, you know, he tried to look it up on me and my dad and technology is like what you would expect, really. <laughs> Jack Arrow Haley, I love Bad News Bears. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was perfect so for we, me. So we kind of got into a discussion, it, and it was one of those things, because it's like, Nightmare and Elm Street, I never heard of this. And I said, well, you might have heard of Freddy Krueger. Oh, Freddy Krueger with the knives. And I'm like, yeah, see, everybody fucking knows this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I guess I should probably see that movie sometime. <laughs> Why? Nope. <laughs> and, I, and I literally Not asked him, what possible, well, he was talking about the original, but it was like, Fair. what possible good could come from you watching Nightmare on Elm Street other than you yelling at me about it for some reason? <laughs> so, and that that was tonight. That was before we recorded this. So, I, so, yeah. So, my father is interested in watching this for no good reason and nothing good will come of it, but I kind of hope he watches it just because. I hope so, too. I want to hear all about that. I almost want to watch it with him next time I'm up there. All right, Dad. <laughs> We're watching Nightmare on Elm Street. Which one? Oh, the fucking dream child. Why? Because fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just want to throw this one out there. If you really sit down and look at what the, the movie is telling you, the lesson of the film is if you have trauma, bury that shit down nice and deep and never, ever fucking touch it or the worst imaginings of that trauma will become real to you and murder you <laughs> what's wrong with that that's what my therapist tells me oh my god Fuck it, we learned this nick we learned a song on this podcast about that <laughs> take your feelings and shove them down <laughs> when your trash is overflowing treat it like your feelings and push it down yeah. <laughs> shout out to dave lawson jr yeah. that was from our lake mungo episode go listen to that where we talked to dave about that oh that's a much better movie than this we one. love you dave <laughs> Why is it then in the rustic.film slash shop site? <laughs> the lyrics to that song. We, we have to reach out to Dave. You, you got to get this in the shop. I know it's not technically a rustic thing. But I, I would buy that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Hell yeah. I just bought the Rose Croutons t-shirt. Oh, they have so many cool new shirts. I love it because this is now officially the most inscrutable t-shirt in my collection. Like this is more inscrutable than our Lido one. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Giffen School of Filmmaking. What the fuck? Our time traveling space yetis one. That's my favorite. I get asked about that one a lot when I wear time traveling space. I thought that said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but you thought wrong. <laughs> or, <you> know, <laughs> this is way better. <laughs> we have a um, company holiday party, a cocktail dress, whatever the fuck that is. And I'm very tempted to wear my Rose Crouton shirt with my jacket over it to that. Oh, do it. And just not Absolutely. refuse to explain it to anybody. Say, what does that mean? Like, How do you not know? And just walk away. so anyway so this is an interesting one because you guys have mentioned before that you hate it well nick hates it and eric you you don't like it as i understand i'll I'll talk when when you're done i'll talk real quick about my (laughs) the history of my emotions on this film and i and i knew nick has, has certainly not made his feelings you know subtle about this film so I going into it, I was really, I, I will say, I was very excited to watch this because it's one of the few times going into a film that we're absolutely doing that we know ahead of time that you both don't like. Usually it's me. So like this is, you know, <laughs> a reverse. And I'll admit, I went into it with 
I mean, just to be a contrarian, a much more open mind than I probably would have otherwise without that information. Well, good. (laughs) And I mean, I try to go into everything with an open mind, but realistically, this one's like, I really hope I like this. I tried to. (laughs) I didn't say I succeeded. I said I tried to. You know what's, and not to tangent, but real quick, what's perfectly apt about that is you're talking about this mindset coming into the Elm Street remake when what you're coming off of is watching the wicker man and the wicker man remake <laughs> so inadvertently it, it that, i was thinking about that inadvertently that ended up being the perfect lead-in to this oh yeah because we're talking about a remake of what's generally regarded as a classic after talking about a classic that has a notoriously you know reviled remake i think it's fair to say the wicker man remake is yep by and large reviled i think is apt yep so yeah anyway so coming into this you know i i, I was like maybe i'll like it and then, you know, you see the opening scene, which is so fucking 90s horror. I expected a professional wrestler to jump out and, say, you know, hit me with a log and tell me it was my final destination. <laughs> my first note <laughs> on if Jake likes this was if he sounds see no evil and comes into this movie talking about this being a masterpiece <laughs> for doing the same shit. <laughs> I'm going to lose my shit. So the fact that you brought up See No Evil specifically is goddamn perfect because I swear to Christ. So like, look, I'll, I'll be upfront. I did. I didn't like it per se. Like, this is not a good film. No. And this has no reason for existing. Nope. But, and it's two, I guess, fairly significant buts here. I didn't hate it, and and this is the one I think is going to get me in trouble with our audience and our people at large. Mm. I really kind of like Jackie Earl Haley's Freddy. And I liked him more than I liked latter day Robert England's Freddy. Eh. Um, like I'm not trying to get excommunicated here. I, no, this no, is just... no, no, no. That's because I kind of, <sighs> it's tricky. We'll talk about it as we go, but no, I, I have mixed feelings on Jackie Earl Haley's performance. But I do like a lot of it. And I'll get into the specific bits as far as what I do and do not, because as we get in, because a lot of it's tied in with kind of the overall approach of the film. I think in some respects, he works really, really well. In some aspects, he doesn't. He gets the gritty down. Like, you know, they wanted a darker, grittier Freddy, and he pulls that off, you know, but there's definitely some ups and downs there. He He's more cruel. Yes, very much closer to the first movie than the, you know, the stand up comedy routine that the last couple of movies are. Yes. And I appreciated that. I didn't like that he looked like basically fucking Voldemort. <laughs> like the, the the look of him was just whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm not big on like I didn't care that much about the makeup, you know, how it evolved through the films. Again, sorry, I'm just not that that into that stuff. But I thought he looked particularly kind of in this. Let's be honest here. The problem with this film, in my opinion, isn't Jackie Earl Haley. No. It's the fact that every single one of the kids is so goddamn two-dimensional and no depth whatsoever that you don't <laughs> give a shit when any of them dies. <laughs> like the extent of like character, like let's look at you know Kyle Gallner, for example. His character, Quentin, the complete extent of his character development is he's a swimmer. <laughs> and that's that is it and that he mildly has emotions for nancy that they don't really delve into too much anyway just, oh my god it's, oh he he is a complete sack of shit you don't give a damn about any of them 
So like my final note, and I'll read this and then I'll explain a little bit. This is, I can't believe my chemical romance made it through the film and they never even, and that they never even tried to give Nancy a personality other than art, which is all they do. Yep. So in my entire notes, because I mean, I'm look at this point, you have to realize if you've been listening this long to this podcast, that the percentage of character names I remember is probably in the 2% range, but I can remember who they are if I give them little nicknames. So in this one, the two main guys are 30 seconds to Mars and my chemical romance. And I'm going to refer to them as such (laughs) throughout this whole thing, because there is a lot of eyeliner involved, even when he's swimming. So those were my points of reference. And it's wild that they, like, the first half hour of this movie focuses on the other lady entirely, and then they're like, oh, yeah, shit, Nancy. Ah, here's Nancy doing some fucking, I don't know what, art. Yeah, art. Cool. And and that was, (laughs) like, all, yeah, you're absolutely right. Everybody was very two-dimensional. Before we kind of get into it, the other thing that I very much liked about this is that, I realize it's a Nightmare on Elm Street thing, is that they downplay the dream sequences to a degree. Heavily. Heavily. And I really appreciated that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, no, because it's just sort of like I'm pulling you into my pocket dimension that is kind of preset. Let's go running. That's it. You know, there's very little cat and mouse play, which I think was kind of really critical to the character development. You know, you're yeah. playing with somebody who is a master of a dream realm. And so, you know, in the original Freddy's, it would be really easy for him to go, welcome to my world, anvil drop, done. You know, it's like... (laughs) Oh, shit, I would have loved that more if they did an actual anvil drop. Right! But (laughs) real Bugs Bunny shit, man. Even Freddy's Dead missed out on that one. (laughs) How is there not an anvil in Freddy's Dead? You got Q-tips, but not an anvil? Come on, Warner Brothers should sue. Or Acme, yeah. You know, in the originals, it's he was a master of the dream realm, and he was basically playing cat and mouse with his prey because he could. That's what he wanted to do. He was malicious, and he was, you know, conniving, and he was having fun with what he thought was easy prey. In this one, it's less of that. It's he has less control. It feels it's more of a okay. We're stuck in these kind of nightmare versions of the places you went to school, and I'm going to chase you till I get you. Which, to some degree works as a slasher but it's not freddy it's more jason if he spoke you know <laughs> it's like i have you in my campground i'm chasing you you're dead that's i have you in the dreamscape i'm chasing you. it's the same thing well i guess maybe if if jason was a speedrunner because this dude just he's on you quick in these hey hey in number six he is a speedrunner and he has to be or he's just teleporting <laughs> that's how they explained it in the uh friday the 13th game was you could essentially teleport you <laughs> Teleports. <laughs> yeah, it was basically through like it. You would go into like Evil Dead Vision, and it was yep. timed. But once you went into that mode, you could get X amount of distance, and then you could apparate. So it's just ridiculous it's the only explanation. Ridiculous. Everything you just said, I've got like six tangents I want to go on, and two of them involve script readings. So rather than do that, how about we go ahead and do the production rundown? I'm happy to do that because because I think once we get into the film, it's really going to snowball. Absolutely. So, this is, as we said, the remake of The Nightmare on Elm Street from 2010. It was directed by Samuel Bayer, who did almost exclusively music videos and the 73rd Primetime Emmy Awards. It it is worth mentioning that Samuel Bayer turned this offer down twice. Mm -hmm. He turned down other screen offers, such as Amityville Horror and Friday the 13th. He relented after receiving a long email from Michael Bay who said that doing the film would really open up his career opportunities. 
which it didn't. He never did another movie yeah, again. He did this and stopped, yes. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's telling. So this had two writers. One was uh, Wesley Strick, mm-hmm. who also had worked on Doom, yep. Wolf, Cape Fear, the remake, and Arachnophobia. We should do that one sometime. No. <laughs> no, we should not. If you ever want to do a movie where we do this podcast with me having not watched the movie, that again, because I saw it earlier, arachnophobia would be the choice. That would be fun. That'd be, <laughs> I'll come up with a community connection, do the whole thing. I ain't watching that fucking movie again. <laughs> <laughs> they then brought in Eric uh, Heiserer mm-hmm. to do rewrites, although per him, very few of his rewrites made it to the film. But he did write Bloodshot, <laughs> Bird Box, Lights Out, and for our Carpenter connection, he did The Thing with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, yes. and Final Destination 5. Yep. Good good job leading off with Bloodshot. All right, <laughs> he led off with the Valiant book, because funnily enough, he also wrote a miniseries for Valiant, uh, a comic miniseries called Secret Weapons, which is very, very good. I really enjoyed that mini. Although it stars Livewire, who's one of my favorite Valiant characters. But yeah, it's a good mini. And then right now he's keeping busy. He's the showrunner on Shadow and Bone, the Netflix show. At least season one. I think he's the showrunner on season two as well. Is there a season two of that? I thought it got renewed. I can't. Re- it's, it's hard to tell with Netflix stuff. It's hard to keep track. But I thought there was a I don't believe season. it's been released yet, but. It's not out, but no. I like the first season. I, I read some of the book and then I realized that the book series didn't focus on the characters I liked from that. It was like the second trilogy had those characters. I'm like, man, fuck this. <laughs> what I'll say just real quick is far in Nick talking about that Heiserer said there was not much of his script made it in the draft of the script I read. I don't have the date in front of me, but it is one of Heiserer's drafts and it does diverge notably from structurally. It's very similar, but a lot of the bits and pieces differ when I got to the first dream sequence, I was like, okay, I'll take this. And this one will be an example of how the dream sequences were different in the script versus the finished film in terms of their approach. And then I had to do that for every dream sequence. So I'm like at the course of this, I need to settle on, it's like, I'm not going to read all four of them. So I got to, <laughs> there's a quick one and then I'll read a longer one probably just to give an example of, of how this stuff different. We'll talk more about Heiser's approach, but yeah, I am curious. There's enough, changes made that i'm curious who did the rewrites that apparently were were mandated by the director because no one's credited on the draft i have it's it was just heiser so i'm curious to see who who did the polish so this film was edited by glenn scantleberry who also worked on abducted the 2003 texas chainsaw massacre joyride and bram stoker's dracula oh oh no no what I miss. I'm sorry, but this, well, okay, a couple things. <laughs> so, you know, how a lot of times editors or, or people will work with the same crew members, you know, over and over again. Yeah. And it's the case with Glenn Scantleberry, but it's with two different people where he's worked multiple times with Michael Bay's studio, and including a lot of the Platinum Dune stuff. He edited the Texas Chainsaw remake. He edited Pathfinder, the Marcus Desmel. He edited Transformers. But he also worked with Francis Ford Coppola. So it's these two very different directors that he's intertwined with. He's like, yep. Coppola's Dracula, and then Armageddon, and then Twix <laughs> later, and all this. But that's not the, the, the main one I was hoping you'd bring up. And this, I 
think is off the top of my head is tied in with Michael Bay. If not, it's certainly with Bruckheimer, which might be the connection. He was the editor on Con Air. Ah, yeah, I saw that. I only include the horror ones, man. You back me up on everything else. Oh, no, it's Con Air. It's Con Air, man. It's Con Air. I, I love Con Air way, way more than I should love that I realize movie. Steve Buscemi drove like a couple hundred miles wearing someone else's scalp on his head, but that does not make it a horror movie. <laughs> no, now you gave us an end to do it. Though. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that before. Now, yeah. I, mm. Cinematography by Jeff Cutter, who worked on Prey, There's Someone Inside Your House, Eli, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and Orphan. Yeah, apparently, yeah, I guess speaking of folks who work routinely with the same folks, I guess now he's Dan Trachtenberg's mm-hmm. go-to DP, so he's doing all the Trachtenberg stuff. He, and, and by association, he did the pilot for the boys. My next three have a lot of overlap. <laughs> so, See, all I'm thinking about is Con Air now, so you know, that's... <laughs> nobody move or the bunny gets it. Oh, son, drugs will kill you. Music by Steve Jablonski, who did Bloodshot. Yeah. <laughs> the Friday the 13th <laughs> remake, the Hitcher remake, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, and the Amityville Horror remake, and Ed Gein. Platinum Dunes love doing remakes. Until this one. This one broke them. They stopped making remakes after this because... Their phone stopped ringing for two years after the release of this one with its backlash. Time to rethink our business model after this one. Yeah. They got saved by the purge. To be fair, the constant, vaguely creepy music throughout this whole movie is kind of annoying, so I wouldn't say it's his best work. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to say on Jablonski, um, well, he, yeah, Nick mentioned a lot of his horror cred, and you know, like he was, same thing, he worked with Michael Bay and Platinum Dunes a lot, and he did the score for... Uh, I think most, if not all, of the Transformers. He might not have done the most. The last one Michael Bay did, I can't remember. He's done some other ones I'll mention, just other stuff he did that I liked, was he did the score for, we talked about Katsuhiro Otomo when we did Magnetic Rose in a previous set with Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. And Katsuhiro Otomo also did a movie called Steam Boy, and Jablonski did the score for that. It's been ages since I saw it, but I remember that score actually being pretty good. And I like some of Jablonski's Transformers work. Uh, so, and again, Nick, thank you for mentioning Bloodshot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when Valiant was so half-heartedly pushing that? It's like, yeah, and the Bloodshot movie's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I just got to throw it out because it's the rare case that comes up on the pod. He did the score for Dragon Wars D War, which, <laughs> God, I hope folks have seen that movie. We might do that someday. But anyway. I do like some of Steve Jablonski's stuff, but yeah, I'm not keen on his work in this particular film. And I'm curious when we get to the other Platinum Dune stuff, like sonically, how similar this is to his approach on all the other Platinum Dunes remakes, you know, that he did the score for. He's trying, and God bless, you know, the way he tries to incorporate the signature theme from, you know, the Bernstein original is fun and spot, but yeah, overall, yeah. This is the only one I've seen of the remakes so far. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get to them. I, I just, I'm a little regretful now that they didn't do Phantasm because I would have loved to <laughs> see this company do a Phantasm movie. It, it's nothing but the tall man stutter stepping towards doing the, rah, where he runs. Like, it wouldn't have been good. But can you imagine, you know, it's fucking straightforward, uh, paint by numbers horror people like this trying to wrap their brains around Phantasm enough to do a remake? You, you see, my, my brain just 
crossed wires, and now I want to hear the Ted Levine doing the tall man. <laughs> Boy! <laughs> Very good game, boy. But the game's over. <laughs> so, I was actually pretty intrigued by the casting for this. I mean, I'm a big fan of Kyle mm. Gallner. Rooney Maras obviously put in her work. Kate Cassie's making the rounds. Jackie Earl Haley. Clancy Brown, for Christ's sakes. Connie Britton. I was like, okay, so who did the casting for this? And I'm fairly certain they were on retainer for Platinum Dunes. Because, again, a lot of these overlap. So casting was by Lisa Fields, who uh, did casting for The Purge, The Maniac Remake, The Innkeepers, Cabin Fever 2, The House of the Devil, good one, uh, Friday the 13th Remake, The Hitcher Remake, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Remake, and The Beginning, and The Enemy of Ill Horror Remake. <gasps> How do you get from this to casting Ty West movies? About say, yeah, the, yeah, the association with Ty West, that's interesting. Yeah, right? And probably easy, because what, Innkeeper has three people in it? Yeah, well. House of the Devil's got four. four. Right, Inkeeper's got four. You got the two at the front desk, the human guest, and then the ghost. Isn't there a barista played by Lena Dunham or I haven't something? seen it in a while. That sounds about right. So about five. Okay. About five, I guess. About the same as is in House of the Devil. Yeah, right now, right? Babysitter, the friend. Yeah. Tom Noonan and his cane in House of the Devil. Yeah. And House of the Devil's got some Delaware people in it, so. Well, it's Ty West. Of course it does. So as we said, this is produced by uh, Platinum Dunes who also have produced A Quiet Place 1 and 2. And they have a, the third one's on its way. I'm excited for that. They did all the Purges. They did all the Ouija's. They did the Friday the 13th remake, the Amityville Horror remake, Texas Chainsaw make, and the Hitcher remake. Yeah. All the Ouija's? They did all the Ouija's. Oh, both of all them. All of them? All of them. <laughs> all the Ouija's. <laughs> Ouija X in space. No one can hear the little slider things. <laughs> Oh, God. I just had this image in my head now of a Ouija board. Cybernetic cyborg. Ouija board. Cybernetic <laughs> <laughs> Ouija board. Well, let's see if you had the Ouija number. Like, the, the graphics are real easy because, you know, you get the, the fucking trailer and it's just an animation of the Ouija board with the, the slider going and fix it on number three and then fix it on number four for the next one and save some money that way. <laughs> this was distributed by New Line Cinema, who also distributed seven, uh, both of the recent It films. The Conjuring, Malignant, Blade, and Dark City. Gotta love that movie. So wait, wait. Is that it? That's all I cared to mention. You swapped out the casting director for the makeups person. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> because I was not impressed by the makeup. We covered casting, but at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> I was not impressed by the makeup. I'm sorry. I wanted to mention it real quick because I was curious, of course, because... And I'm sure we'll touch on Freddie's look here in the course of the discussion. But I was curious who, who did it because we've talked in the past about, you know, Kevin Yeager and all the other folks who've worked on previous movies who did Freddie's design. This one is, is a makeup effects technician named Andy Clement or Clement. Uh, apologies, whichever one it is. And he did a lot of things. But the, the main ones I'll mention is, A, he was an assistant makeups person on Frankenhooker. So I got to mention that. But, <laughs> Uh, he did makeup effects on Zombie Nightmare, which is was on Mystery Science Theater way My back. My special on. effects, they just blew up. They just blew up. Did they work on Men in Black? Because the the Freddy makeup had a real Edgar suit kind of vibe to it. They they might have. I can't remember, but I know the other one I have noted was Andy worked on Star Trek, and then key ones. 
Deadpool and Deadpool 2 was the co-makeup designer for Fun. Deadpool and Deadpool. So presumably, it seems at least Andy Clement being like go-to person for burn scars and like mm-hmm. burn disfigurement because he yeah, had the Wade Wilson. Well, Wade Wilson's not burned, was it? It was the, the cancer thing, wasn't it? Or Yeah, yeah. It was the, the basically the cancer ate him up. So I'd like to discuss the actors a little bit real quick because they have a fun, varied past. So Freddy Krueger is, is, of course, played by Jackie Earl Haley, who you can find on Shutter Island, Watchmen, and he's actually in Maniac Cop 3. It's <laughs> <laughs> a call out to my 80s fans out there. So he's also in Preacher. True. Oh, is he? Yeah, he plays Odin Quincannon in Preacher. Oh, nice. So also on Preacher is Brian Husky. He plays Ted Ryerson on the show. Now, you know Brian Husky from a lot of things, but one of the things you might remember him as is Professor Gilbar in the season three episode of Curriculum Unavailable of Community. So he's our community connection through Preacher. In part because, uh, yeah, I like Preacher. But also because the character he plays on Community, Professor Gilbar, is just in a briefly in an episode and it's for like a fake class called Can I Fry That? You know, and it's the guy you know, Can I fry that? Keys. Yes. One guy says French fries and he says, Get out. There's only one. But I just like the idea of the community connection being the Can I fry that guy? Fred Krueger. Yes, you can. Clancy Brown asks in this very movie. <laughs> so it just seemed a little a little appropriate when I came across that one. That's perfect. Can I fry that? Can Freddy Krueger. Absolutely. <laughs> Quentin Smith is uh, played by Kyle Gallner, mm. who I most recently saw both in Smile, which was fun, and The New Scream. Yeah. Uh, he's also in The Cleansing Hour, Jennifer's Body, there The Haunting go. in Connecticut, and Red Eye. And Nancy Holbrook is played by Rooney Mara from Nightmare Alley, A Ghost Story, The Social Network, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And of course, Chris Fowles is played by Katie Cassidy, who I love from the Arrow series, but she might be better known from Wolves of the Door, The Black Christmas Remake, and When a Stranger Calls Remake. Yeah, so I don't watch the CW shows. I've seen like one episode of Flash and a half of an episode of Legends of Tomorrow. And I watched her in this. I was like, oh, she's pretty good. I wonder what else she's been in. I was like, oh, shit, Black Canary. Oh, my God. People are going to find and take my comic book card if they find out. I had no idea she was in that. Because, listen, <laughs> I hear those CW DC shows are pretty decent. I don't have time for decent DC shows. I got time for one DC show. And as mentioned, that's Titans. And it ain't because it's good. <laughs> if she was on Titans, I'd know. But. Yeah, I random aside, yeah, I was like, oh, she's pretty good in this. I, was, I liked her. The only one I watch is Stargirl, which apparently is ending after today. Oh, no. They're recording this, they're airing the finale, and I'm pissed about it, because they just introduced, like, Infinity Inc. It's like, oh, man, fuck you. How do you <laughs> finally give me this and then take it away? <laughs> it's got Joel McHale in it, man. This is, like, the perfect show for me. Jesse Braun is played by Thomas Decker from Blue Call, Fear Clinic, both the laid to rests. From Within and Village of the Damned. I think it was actually one of the kids in that one. I think he was the young John Connor in the Terminator TV show. Too, yes. Right? The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Dean Russell is played by Kellen Lutz from Prom Night, The Twilight Saga, and Immortals. He ain't played by him for long. I think he was Hercules in a movie, too. I, yes, I didn't he was. write anything down for Kellen. I've just gone off memory. 
Dr. Gwen Holbrook is played by Connie Britton mm-hmm. from American Horror Story, Nashville, and This Is Where I Leave You. I like Connie Britton. She deserved better. Everyone does. I do yeah. too. Yeah. And Alan Smith is played by Clancy Motherfucking Brown, who we know from the Mortuary Collection, Highlander, yeah. Nothing Left to Fear, John Dies at the End, and Pet Cemetery 2. I saw Clancy Brown, man. I got excited because I always get excited when I see Clancy Brown. He had a very minute part in this. Yeah, because if he had a bigger part, Freddy wouldn't have stand a fucking chance. <laughs> <laughs> My money's on the Kurgan. His, his name is Alan Smith, and that's because he's the uh, the father of Quentin Smith, and that's supposed to matter. But really, it's like he, he'd be better titled as Random Mob Leader Number One. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but he he has the important part. He he has the random parent shows up outside in the street in a car randomly in a place because we have to have that in yep i thought the same thing that's a (laughs) nightmare in elm street tradition yep i was i was so glad we got it was like if that was intentional that's fucking amazing (laughs) where a parent just happens to pull up come to a screeching halt outside of a house and say you get in (laughs) (laughs) we got a call back to nightmare four in this movie with the how's that for a wet dream line so it's not inconceivable that that was a deliberate callback I guarantee it was. They got so many call like so many callbacks were made, it was actually derided as plagiarism. <laughs> like it was it was less, you know, a remake and more of a you you're really just doing it beat for beat here, guy. <laughs> well what's funny is each time they tried to do one of the big iconic scenes, it was fucking terrible. Yep. Like when he pushes his face through the wall, that shit looked like ass. Oh. It was terrible. It was really bad. You know, when they did the tub scene, it's like, well, this couldn't have been more pointless. Yep. You know, yeah. it just, and even the, the final scene where, where he, you know, takes out the mom. It's like, oh, come on, man. This is just yeah. bad. When we, when we get to that, remind me to talk about the the, the alternate ending. Because, oh, man, there's a lot. Did it have a car? Ah! No, it didn't. But it- <laughs> Like, you're right, though. The, hom- the homages are, are plentiful, including, like, they homage Johnny Depp's death scene with the, with the blood through the ceiling. They keep homaging the boiler room, even though it is completely pointless in this film. <laughs> yeah, well, well, for a different purpose that could have been interesting that they didn't use. Like, it's kind of like the concept of him being. So the whole get up in, with this one being like, all right, how do we incorporate the the sweater? How do we incorporate the fedora? How do we incorporate the glove? They don't. The glove kind of throws a wrench into the whole. Hey, he might have been innocent thing. Just had a real fetish for making you know, crazy <laughs> knife hands. But we'll get to that later. I don't want to get into that whole tangent quite yet. But so their solution to that was okay. He's wearing the sweater at the time of his death. He had the hat. I don't even. He wasn't wearing the hat, but I guess he the hat was in the the vicinity or something when he died. So in that sense, kind of the idea of him being in this abandoned factory and the boiler room kind of being him uh, being tied in the dream realm to this element of where he died. Conceptually, it's kind of interesting, but they don't do anything with it, nor is nope. it obvious whether or not that's intentional. Nope. It's mainly just used to do a lot of yellow lighting because the guy directing this is most well known for doing the Smells Like Teen Spirit video. <laughs> so yep. it's like, I, I got yellow lighting down like a motherfucker. So you give me some yellow gel lighting, I'll make it. So every time it goes to the boiler room, that's all I heard was. Bow, 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 bow. I'm just, I mean, it feels like the homages are the only thing that really survived the writing process. I mean, this script went through not, 15 not even. drafts. There's fewer <laughs> homages to the original in the Heiser draft. So they added some. Oh, Jesus Christ. Real quick, just to segue into, us, into what we're talking about, real quick, my, my history with this particular film. And this is going to get briefly heavy, but it's going to get briefly heavy in the interest of humor. So I saw this when it hit DVD. 
So that would have been like, you say, late 2010, early 2011. I don't remember. Thoroughly disliked it. I really, really disliked this movie at the time I saw it. And the funny thing is, I wasn't as big of a fan by a mile of the original then as I am now. I like the original more now, having revisited it for this pod, than I did back in 2010, 2011. And just broad strokes, this movie is not The Room. It's not like, oh my god, it's spectacularly <laughs> incompetent on, and the performances are so bad. No, it's cast no, well. it's not The Room. There's, you know, there's thought put into a lot of it, and they try to do some new things. It's, we'll break all that down more shortly, but it's, the reason it sticks in my cross so much initially was, it's a staggering waste of potential. I'll touch more on that here shortly. Oh, so much potential. But it's it's more of a waste than it is actively bad. But I do think, again, like what you like, I think this is a bad film. But so I, I disliked it in 2010, 2011. In 2016, so again, we're going to get heavy for a second, but it's in the interest of getting funny, but also for context. In 2016, my father passed away. And the way my brain works with dreams is, or the way it used to work, weirdly enough, COVID changed this. It used to be, my brain has a two-week ramp up between something happening in real life and it manifesting in my dreams. Like, if I have a shitty work day, I'll have a bad dream about it like two weeks later, but not that night. Interesting. And it, it was pretty much consistent. It was like a, about a two-week I almost, ramp up. I almost envy you for that because I get that shit real time, man. I fall asleep. I'm dreaming about work tomorrow. I do now in the COVID era. That's how it works for me, but it didn't used to. It's, it's weird, but it was almost always two weeks. So my father passed away. About a week after that was the funeral. And then a week after that, so again, about two weeks, I started having nightmares about my father. And I had sporadic off and on nightmares about, you know, involving my dad for years. But once I started having these, I had them every night for about two months. And they're awful. I would go to bed and I would have this awful nightmare involving my father. And I would wake up. And then you have that thing where you're trying to shake this awful dream that happened. And then you, know, you, you shake the dream off. And then the re- once you get reality, then the reality hits you is, oh, yeah, that thing you were just dreaming about, that didn't happen. But the person you were dreaming about is dead. So, uh, and then that hits you. And this happened again, like nightly for about two months. So every morning for two months, I would wake up and I would have two thoughts when I got out of bed. Number one, holy shit, my dad's really dead. Number two. Jesus Christ, the 2010 Elm Street remake dropped the ball. Because oh my then, God. Oh my God. And I'm not kidding. It actually, because then I was experiencing, it was like, I'm going to go to sleep tonight because it was constant. It was literally every night for two months. So the whole thing about the crux of what makes Freddy Krueger terrifying is it's in your dreams. Can't defend yourself. You have to sleep. You can't escape. And I knew every night that I was going to have this awful experience and it was unavoidable i can't stop it i can't control my what i think and going into sleep or whatever or try that and nothing worked so it was i was going to have an awful fucking nightmare for two solid months so every morning by proxy and this is unfair to the movie but my proxy my grief (laughs) for my dead father was like and it makes me realize how much they dropped the ball on that bullshit remake even more Jesus Christ. Because it just hammered home the lost potential. <laughs> and like I said, it, in the interest of being funny, but it was true because it was like, man, now that I'm dealing with nightly remakes, and I think like it's it the <laughs> I'm scrolling down to the portion of my notes that says, 
why is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually real quick before I go into why is this shit. Let's talk real quick about Meritus a, a remix real quick, which is at because we're coming off the Wicker Man. Because, again, the previous episode, I had to throw out the statement that maybe sort of kind of i think maybe the remaking the wicker man before it actually happened wasn't the worst idea which caused nick to go stone cold steve austin what on me for like <laughs> 10 seconds what what <laughs> so you want to remake wicker man <laughs> nicholas cage <laughs> <laughs> so and again it's it's kind of perfectly timed and that's a case where the, the like i said the original wicker man has core concepts and themes that it, by and large, capitalizes on them very well. So, in that case, the appeal of a remake isn't, what can we fix? Like I mentioned that episode, the appeal of a remake is, if we update it to a new time period, or if we transplant it to different cultural context, can we do something new with it, or can we add to it in some way? Not Without losing its soul, right. Yeah, without Spoiler, losing it. Spoiler, yeah. they could not for that one. <laughs> in that case, the result was dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> Again, no slight to the filmmakers involved, but <laughs> but it's again, it's do remakes. It's <laughs> I, I don't I feel that bad about just dunking off and be the Wicker Man one in this. So, yep. So in that case, that's a remake that didn't go so well. Weirdly enough, and again, I think we talked about this a little bit back in the Thing episode. The Thing quasi prequel, quasi remake is kind of another example of kind of my base issues with this movie which is and in that case it's not a reboot kind of but it's really fucking confusing what they did with in, in the end it's similar but they to put this. mary elizabeth winstead in it who gives a shit it was great <laughs> <laughs> had a real direct community connection too oh man that's, that's gonna be fun because eventually we're gonna get to the second black christmas uh, which mary elizabeth speaking of problematic uh, <laughs> remake squad slash sequels and mary elizabeth winstead's in that too so we'll see if she's she in that, that but one. not enough for it to matter so. No. Good news. We're not doing that for the Christmas movie. We'll talk about Yay! the Christmas movie. I ain't watching that again. I, I, no. I, there, needs, there needs to be more than a year between me watching that. <laughs> <laughs> I need, I'm still recovering. Oh, it's so bad. You gotta give me some more time. Our Christmas episode is gonna be something else, right? 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 Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. But similarly, the, the, I don't feel as strongly about that Thing movie as I do this, but the broad strokes are kind of similar, which... Nothing it does really adds much of significance, particularly in the Things case being a prequel. Is like you don't do anything that makes me like go and rewatch the original, and it's better because of stuff you set up. And it's more of a retread. Mm -hmm. And the stuff you do that's a carbon copy, in a lot of cases, the original did better anyway. Similar to what you guys were talking about, which is this movie has all these elements that it's you know we're going to take from the original, and nearly all of them are shittier. Oh yeah, and, you know, there's the wall sequence in this, which is not in the Heiser draft I read, which is just kind of thrown in here. And it's fucking community did that better when they parried it. Yeah. And look, that is not a case of practical effects are always better. No, that makes sense as far as something to update. Yeah, we can redo that effect with CG and do something unique with it. Conceptually, like, like the Wicker Man remake, conceptually, I could see the appeal. It looks terrible. It it's looks awful. Awful. And it, and it builds up to the, brrr, you know, scare. And it, it just, it looks bad. This movie relies on jump scares way too much. It's almost entirely, it's, Jake brought up See No Evil. It's very much that same. Everything is, you know, sudden, blah, you know, someone turning around or Freddy, you know, crashing towards the camera via editing. We got Freddy running his claws around stuff so it sparks, which 
it looks okay here. But again, the best looking one is the one in Dream Child. That looked better than any, than the two times they did it in this one. Yep. The bathtub scene is largely the same, but it's kind of, I think, moderately less. I mean, it's ostensibly the same, but I would say it's moderately less effective because I think it's overscored here and it doesn't go all Devo at the end like the original with the blah, 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 blah. Also, she gets in the bath in this with the intent of taking a nap. Yeah. And that seems dangerous to me. Yeah. And also, the, a little thing, but they cut the... Re- I rewatched the original today, and just... I hadn't until going into this. And yeah, I forgot that they do a reverse shot in the original, where you actually see from her POV before it sinks back in. Yep. And it's a little yep. thing, but it was like, that reverse shot actually makes it way more effective. But mm-hmm. So that one's not, like, egregious. But it's, it's not particularly more effective. Chris's death, which is similar to Tina's death, where, you know, we'd have the person floating around the room. So again... That's a sequence in which, all right, wire effects have gone farther. We can do more with that now. But it, it's distracting for me watching her float around because the way she floats, all I think of is the end of Willow with Rizel, you know, throwing Bab Mortar around the room. This just looks like the end of Willow. Um, can I read my sequence of notes on that scene? Oh, go for it. Because I was like, I, I remember taking some notes on this and I couldn't remember what I wrote. So it goes like this. Yo, if 30 Seconds to Mars appeared in my window, I'd shoot him. And then, hey, we're both dreaming of the same scary dude. Clearly, that doesn't mean anything. In quotes, by soon-to-be-dead 30 Seconds to Mars. And then the very next one, 30 Seconds to Mars crawls into a lot of people's windows. (laughs) Yes, he does. Crawls in. All that happens. He runs away. And then crawls into Nancy's window to say, hey, Tag, you're it. And then beats out. He crawls into Chris's window when her parents are away. Like, just fucking ring the doorbell. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Clearly, this is a dude who crawls into windows, Nick. This is his thing. This is his bit. That and eyeshadow. Also, apparently Clancy Brown is the only dad who stuck around in a marriage this entire fucking town. I know, it occurred to me later. It's like, oh my God, it's all single parents. And and I was like, wait, I actually don't really see a couple in this. It's all single parents. Yeah, it's because the whole next generation of Elm Street kids are going to look like the Kurgan. (laughs) 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 But so you have the the sequence where Chris is floating around and it's from a technical level, it's it's better done. Well, I mean, it was the rotating room in the original. So but it's one bit of it in this one I do like is the sequence where she's kind of rotating and you have the ragdoll effect with her limbs and you hear her limbs. Just go dup, 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 against the wall. It's like, okay, that I kind of like. But an issue with it is they move where she gets slashed. In yeah. this, she doesn't get slashed until the end, which did serve a plot function in the script. In the script, originally, all the characters, when they actually get killed, they all die the same way. Freddy does a vertical slash down their chest. So it's all of them. They all, he does the, the four fingered chop. <laughs> straight down their chest in all their cases, which is what he does to Chris in the finished film. But originally he did it to all of them. Spoilers for the original ending of the film, aside from, because here's another thing this did, like to similar effect of the original, the original has the notoriously bad, you know, dummy of, you know, Ronnie Baker getting pulled through the window. And this one, we're going to redo the shock ending. But again, we can do so much more with CG, but it looks bad. And it's bad to a point it's distracting. It's so quick that it's just like, oh, that was dumb. Yep. You know, it's not like shocking. It's just like, ah, oh, you know, we're we're finally going to do a phantasm thing. Nope. You also never really like connect with Connie Britton's character. So like you just don't care. Cuz all she does <laughs> is lie. 
and say she's not lying. I'm not lying. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying to you. I'm just lying to you. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a note. Just says Connie Britton be lying. So I'm not lying. I didn't want you to go through life with that memory. I wanted you to forget. Well, yeah, but that's lying. lying. <laughs> I you went know, to I... the Keith Giffen School of Filmmaking. He taught me to lie to you. He wanted me to lie to you. <laughs> we got a shirt about this shit. We, we know when we're talking about when we talk about lies. You see, they did obviously get better with the special effects with her going around the room. That being said, did they though? In the yeah, I mean the the ability to do so, yes. But in the original, though, I honestly found it more terrifying seeing her invisibly getting dragged across the yep. floor. Well, part of that, too, is because in, in relation to that is in that she gets slashed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So in this, she gets slashed at the end. Uh, real quick. So the reason everyone get, dies the same way is the original ending of the movie is when they get Quentin in the ambulance. Nancy has the line to Quentin. Now you can get some rest or something like that. So, oh, now we can sleep in peace. And Quentin closes his eyes. And all of a sudden, the vitals start going ape shit, and you see the four vertical slashes go down his chest. Nancy screams, "Crash to black!" So it still had the shock ending. It was with Quentin in the ambulance instead, and it was the, the vertical. So they had the vertical slashes as That's a motif. That's way better. Yeah, I mean, it ain't great, but it's way better. It's better. Wait, wait until we get what preceded it, and that they did film, which is better. They might have filmed this too, but I just didn't see it. But by moving the slash to the end. And it makes sense, again, for it to be this recurring motif. But when she slashed at the beginning, that means when she's rotating around the room, she's leaving splotches everywhere. So it adds mm-hmm. this, like you said, contributes to the horror element of seeing her get yep. you know, rolling around the room because she's leaving a trail. Yep. And so you don't have that. And presumably that's why they did wire stuff is because, OK, well, we're not going to have her bleeding until the end. So we'll just we'll do wires instead of her just going you know, rolling around. Right. But. It really does change the effectiveness. And I didn't really think about it as much until, again, I was rewatching the original. I was like, yeah, just having that fucking pool that she crashes down into at the end. Yep. It, it, it's yeah, it's it's easy for, you know, the original Elm Street, because, I, again, I, I do really, really appreciate it, especially after revisiting it. It's easy to just default put shit on a pedestal and say, oh, the original's better. I'm trying not to do that. But, like, and but then, it is. Some of the shit just even now is more effective. And that's an example. And of all these things, of all these things they redid to, at best, mixed success, you couldn't redo the Reed Richards arm bit in the alleyway with the stretchy arms? Because that one might have worked. But no, no. No, no, no. We, We don't dare fuck with the fishing wire hands of the original. So I was like, oh, come on. Now, there is one part of this movie... I was kind of having fun with, but I think they broke. And that is the film for half a second really feels like it's going to be about Chris and Jesse. Like they're just really focusing on the two of them so hardcore. You almost think they're going to be your leads and the ones you're seeing to the end. It's 31 minutes before you, you really, it transitions to Nancy. Exactly. It's, it's almost, like almost half an hour. It's like almost half an hour before it's like, oh, wait, no, this is actually about Nancy, not these two, which I thought, you know, as a concept is clever. But when you waste over a third of your goddamn movie on it, you know, I think it's a waste. And then, like you mentioned before, they don't give Nancy any personality, but they don't give None. anybody a person. Like, what's, no, what's I- her personality? She has two signature things. She can fall asleep at her boyfriend's funeral and her garage is really clean. <laughs> and for some reason her first grade is fine but her second grade memories are in quotes or am yep. i the only one who noticed that 
Yeah, on the, the boxes. Yeah. Yep, yeah. on the box. First grade, and then Chris second grade. I'm making air quotes here because you can't see, but why? <laughs> Man, I get it's a dream, but what the fuck? To what you're saying, Nick. So in the in the originals, or not? I keep want to say the original script, but one of probably the many drafts Heiser did, but whichever one I have, Nancy is even more of a peripheral character in the opening, mm-hmm. like for that first thirty minutes, where she's very much on the periphery of the like. The original script opens with everyone having a party at Dean's house, and I can't remember if Nancy's there and like being a wallflower, or if Nancy's not there at all. But Nancy's constantly kind of like on the orbit of everybody, more so than actually interacting. Like one of my least favorite scenes in this film is is the funeral scene where Nancy tries to approach Jesse and Chris, and you know has the line about I, I've seen, and he cuts her off. You haven't seen anything, whatever. And she says, "You have no idea what I've seen." It's like it's it's just it's so awful and. God bless Rooney Mara for trying, but that whole, it, it just lands so poorly. Yeah. Like, lady, you fell asleep at a funeral. Shut up. And not just any funeral. Your boyfriend's funeral. Well, that's Chris, too. Like, like, how big of an asshole do you have to be for someone to nod off front row at his funeral? <laughs> not even front row. And it's not even the worst, because 30 Seconds to Mars goes to sleep in the pool during a race. Uh. I know, right? <laughs> Doesn't get knocked unconscious, man. Ah, breaststroke. Ah, to hell with it. That that might have been a micro nap. That might have been a micro nap. Sure. Hey, I actually, <laughs> that was another one of the few things in the movie I actually appreciated, was the concept of micro Do micro naps often happen while you're exercising? While you're face down in, in, in a not pool? oxygen? If you have been sleep deprived for over three days, they happen no matter what you're doing. Your brain just literally shuts down for a few seconds. I don't think it was three days at that point. But it was for him. He had been he had been he talking was, about how yeah, he, because yeah he mm-hmm. he'd been like riding the Adderall when they put yeah when they actually explicitly bring up the micronaps again, which is right after or not long after that scene. It's so they can set up the the pharmacy bit where it has like the flickering effect. So I'll mention that real quick. So to, in terms of the script stuff that was slightly more interesting. So we get the sequence in the finished film of the micronaps and we get the bit where Nancy is in the aisle way of the pharmacy and it's flickers between the aisle way of the pharmacy and being this hallway of the, the boiler room basically. And, and Freddie constantly blinking in one of the ideas they had in the original in the Heiser, I keep saying the original in the Heiser or draft I read was that the dream world was it's kind of similar to hell in Constantine in which there's a one-to-one correlation between locations there and in the dream world. Right. And as such, you can map it. So, you know, that really dumb fucking scene in this film, which one where Quentin falls asleep in the library and we get the screensaver of a bunch of crows on trees, which never comes up again randomly mm-hmm. which before i get into what it is isn't it funny i was like wait the implication there is that freddie can put when a computer enters sleep mode Freddie anything that is quote-unquote <laughs> sleep can freddie hack something when it falls asleep i have to keep using my ipad i can't let it go into sleep mode or he'll hack it and steal my credit card data but no it originally where that image comes from is so originally when they see the kid who's got the live cam footage who live streamed his own death which is also explained a little better in the original script. Because the, the finished film has you asking, who uploaded this video of this kid dying to his own <laughs> The San Diego Police Department. We already know <laughs> the answer to this one. <laughs> Fully edited and everything. No, in the Heiser draft, he mentions, he says, I have my camera set up so it, it detects motion. So I'm going to try and get to sleep, but if I start moving, it'll turn on. So it keeps cutting 
because it's off at certain. And so you only see footage when the camera's on. And like he, he goes to sleep. And then when the camera comes on again, he's like shaking and it comes on again. And he's Ooh, turned around and his back is to the camera. Ooh. And all of a sudden the, he, he turns himself around like Invisible Freddy spins him around to face the camera and carved into his chest is die, Nancy. That's so much creepier. That would have been so much better. It also <laughs> makes more sense into why that footage would be in terms of this is automated, you know, not. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Because where the way it plays out is like, no, it's an archive file on his site. Like someone had to upload that. It's like, we, he would have wanted us to have the ad revenue. But so one of the things he was doing in the draft was he was mapping the dream world and he has it behind him. And Nancy makes a is able to replicate it somehow. I forget exactly. Been a few, normally I read the script right before we record these, but in this case, it's been a few days, so I might be off on some details. It's not as fresh as it normally is. But so Nancy has a map of the dream world. And so when they leave the pharmacy and they're going to the preschool, they're following this map. And because they're both micro napping, they're not even micro napping. There's something else from the car sequence. We'll get into that. The car sequence in a little bit. That was different. But they're blinking in and out. So what happened in the pharmacy is happening as they're walking to the preschool where it's constantly blinking. So they're going through nice, quiet neighborhood at night. It keeps blinking into this intermittent like hell world. And it's like hellish version. And there's like a demon dog barking at him. Stuff that feels like, quote unquote, more traditional Elm Street imagery. And the Tree of Crows is a landmark. Basically, they're like, all right, there's the Tree of Crows, which was on the kid's map. So we know the, the school is over here. Because it turns out where the school is, it's at the opposite end of Elm Street. Like, it's it starts as Elm, then it becomes something else, but then it becomes Elm again. And okay. so they're like, so it's technically on, on the opposite end of Elm Street, so that's why they have to, to walk to it. Hmm. That's kind of cool. The, the Heiser draft, I'll read more bits from it, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But what I'll say is, it definitely, I think it needed some polish. It could have really used I, I felt very much like i was reading alien engineers reading it which was uh, the, the draft the john spates draft of what became prometheus yep. before that was overhauled which is i think it definitely needed punching up with the characters and whatnot but structurally it was pretty sound and it had more interesting bits and pieces in it than the finished film in terms of set pieces there are things in fairness there are things that they changed in the finished film that I think are more interesting. And we'll probably touch on that when we get to Freddy. But did the, the script explain how they never found his lair because they clearly didn't look at all? There was no lair. That would make more sense. The MacGuffin and the so this one was was a little clunky. So the reason they need to go into the preschool in the Heiser draft is so you know the when we get the, I'm not lying to you, I'm not lying to you, I'm just lying to you sequence in this. <laughs> we get the quick montage of, like, while she's explaining stuff, we get the quick montage of them as kids. And, like, the parents see the slash marks on young Nancy. Clancy Brown's on the phone, and he's like, you know, yes, he has been acting strangely and all that. Originally, every time one of the main characters dreams, they get a glimpse of them confessing to their parents what happened. Yeah. Hmm. And what you get is... There's also a connecting factor, which is there's a psychiatrist who shows up. And so he's a consistent thing where he's talking to the kids and helping them work through stuff. So the kids all get to witness them talking to their parents about what Freddie did to them. And then when Freddie has the bit where he confronts Nancy, like the first long conversation they have outside the house in the snow, but you look as beautiful as ever, bro. and all that stuff. 
he has a line in there where he says, so long as, you know, it's, it's your little whispers that made me the way I am or something like that. And they realize that one of the things that happened is as a result of them talking to the psychiatrist, the main bit of evidence for Freddie were they have audio recordings of what the kids told their parents. And Quentin says, oh, when he said that to you, he must have been talking about the audio tapes, which are what damned him, what, what you know, was enough for mob justice previously. So if we destroy the tapes, that'll fix it. So where are the tapes? And none of the parents have it. The parents buried it at the preschool. So the reason they're going to the preschool is that's where the tapes are. Okay. So it was a different McGovern. Rather than the secret room, it was a box of tapes. It's still a little shaky, but... Well, the the thing that they can't get around in that or then their final is just the kids not... Rem- like, all of the kids not remembering. Yeah. Let's touch on this real quick. The is he innocent <laughs> question that, that this movie adds. pisses me off so much because it fixes the original to some degree for me. Like, the original is, oh, it was a bad guy. So we killed him. So what happened? He got worse. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> sure, why not? Okay, I can roll with that. And, you know, and it was fine. It's fine. It's fine, as an origin story goes. But in this one, it's like he is a wrongly accused, theoretically, uh, individual who is then wrongly, you know, lynched and set on fire and killed by the townsfolk. That is some great motivation to come back from the fucking dead and wreak some havoc. You know, that makes sense to me. And that is fun. And it would be great. And they hint at it and they lean into it. And then it's all bullshit. <laughs> it makes me so <laughs> disappointed and frustrated. To that point. So one of the things I like about Jackie or Haley's performance in the film and their approach, one is like this film does a lot of things conceptually that I like. real quick to touch on it where i was going with some of the remake stuff which is in terms of remakes what i think makes elm street kind of unique is look at the other movies that platinum dunes remade all right so they remade texas chainsaw massacre should that have been remade i guess sure whatever from what i recall it was good i'm talking about like if you were to hear that they're remaking these things you're like all right yeah i guess they're remaking the hitcher should they all right whatever they're remaking Friday the 13th. What do you think it is? And most folks at the time are like, yeah, it's due for a reboot. My vote was, fuck no, I want to see where you go after space. <laughs> and I've got a pitch. My pitch was time travel, but <laughs> I'll save my pitch for Jason Zero for when we do the Friday the 13th franchise. It's not a serious pitch, perhaps. That's my time travel pitch. <laughs> but then you get to, we're remaking Elm Street. And again, this is part of why I have this degree of kind of more vitriol for this than most things should you remake nightmare on elm street my answer to that is an unequivocal yes because it is is the original classic absolutely but it's not to me it's not sacrosanct and that's again that's not why i dislike this one because no one should touch the original no the original is not sacrosanct and why i think you should remake it and why i think someone should still remake it is Elm Street is a case of, unlike all those other ones, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hitcher, Friday the 13th, on their basic premises, they largely got enough juice out of the orange or whatever. You know, they largely wrung enough substance out of what the concept was. Not that you can't do something new or do something interesting or do something unique, but that they had already been thoroughly mined. Yeah, I I actually really liked the Hitcher remake, the the gender band. And of course, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. The one with Sean Bean. Yeah. Yeah. So all those ones, the other Pine Dunes ones were once it was like, all right, conceptually, yeah, you can remake it, but you know, 
they've already gotten a lot out of the concept in the originals. Elm Street, I think, is not. Elm Street is nothing against the original series, but its concept, you can do so much with that idea. So much more to mind. Of someone who can, yeah. And especially now that it's years later, technologies come further. You know, we can do things just in terms of, like, if you want to do CG stuff, in terms of how we push the visuals, you can do that. If you want to change your visual language approach, like the way you edit it, the way you do the shot construction, it's Elm Street feels, and, it's, and again, it's not a, a knock on the previous one, but it's there is more you can do there. And it feels like that is something that I think is prime remake material. You can do things and keep enough of core elements, but do something fresh and interesting. So I was like, yeah, absolutely remake Nightmare on Elm Street. Again, I still think absolutely remake Nightmare on Elm Street. So that takes me into to Jackie O'Haley's performance. So one of the things I like as an idea is that they do this darker approach to Freddy. Like, and I said this during our review of the series. It was like, look, I like Jokey Freddy too. I get the appeal. But there's merit to darker. Yeah, it is for me. And this kind of goes back to the, the really dark stuff I was talking about. But again, to be funny, which is when you think about the potency of, and this is just to me, my personal opinion, is the potency of having someone in your dreams where you were at your most vulnerable and it's also your most personal basically someone who's inside you and has access to everything you think everything you feel all your memories the more insidious and the more actively cruel that person is like because it's like england has talked about this it's an inherently invasive thing it's this voyeuristic it's someone who's you know who's inside you basically and you can't control it i think leaning into the crueler elements of that, it, it's so inherently scary. And if you mm. make him, you can lean into the, the goofy stuff with the dream imagery and make him funny. But I, I thought there was more to mine with Mean Freddy. It's one of the reasons, things I thought was so interesting about the Craven Wagner draft of Dream Warriors with you. And Freddy was a motherfucker in that one. Again, that movie was a splatterpunk Looney Tune. That, that's not the movie, the, the draft. That draft is bonkers. But So I, I like their general approach to Freddy in this. I like going darker. I like doing more serious. and. He's hindered by a few things. You know, I, I think Haley's is seems like he's trying the makeup. I, I know what they were going for. It doesn't do him any favors because it restricts nope. his facial emotions. Yep. You know, it restricts his eyebrows. So you lose stuff there. And the worst thing is, is he talks like Billy Bass because he can't move his lips. So he talks like fucking Billy Bass. And then you have his voice, which is all ADR. And they did this extra bass effect on his voice in ADR. To give it this extra room. And so there's this weird disconnect every time he's talking, where it's not like a like a dubbing effect. It's just everything's a little bit off. Nothing matches. And he's so stilted facially that it's like, oh, you really didn't do him any favors. And he's got kind of a natural mumble to begin with, so it's Yeah, I I, I really don't know why they Yeah. Well I don't say I don't know. I I get the appeal of, oh, we want to give him like a little added effect so it's not just jackie earl haley's voice but it was like make I, it more I supernatural kinda, yeah yeah i get it but no i don't i, I don't think it was necessary it didn't help you know, it was yeah, not, you're right. not to this degree certainly nope and we'll talk about that more when we talk about the alternate ending but when i think haley is at his best in this is when he is pissed i think haley's best scenes are not when he's being the taunting freddy is the scenes where he's just angry. Yeah. I think he's really good. Like the scene where he kills Jesse is like my favorite. When he says, you think you can bring the dead back to life? You think you can turn back time? Answer me. I fucking think so. And he's pissed. Yep. He sells that very, very well. He sells the anger part of Freddy. 
I think it's by far where he's his most effective. He has one the line of delivery that really makes me laugh, which is after he stabbed Quentin and he hears Nancy and he says, your girlfriend's here. I'll be right back. Just whatever. He has this really monotone. <laughs> I'll be right back. That's, that just cracks me up. So that, that line, I legitimately laugh. But like, like I mentioned, I, I liked him. I liked mm. his performance in this. I liked what they did with Freddie. Like, yeah, the, the vocal stuff was weird. The makeup looked like they saran wrapped his face in, you know, pizza or something. But like you were saying, the cruel Freddie is to some degree more interesting to me. And seeing him pissed in the way he was is that was new. Yep. We haven't seen that before. No. Like he's gotten, you would call angry, but not like, not like a human actually gets pissed. Original Freddy really approaches his situation as being freed. He has been released and he's been given power. He's been, you know, now he can do what, what he wants unhindered and in all the ways he could possibly imagine. Where, yeah, this Freddy is clearly pissed and and yeah. and furious and, and wants vengeance and like light me on fire fuck you i think it's a much better change yeah i mean much better motivation yeah and and that goes into what you were saying about the the additional element they added of well what if he was innocent mm-hmm. which is again is an intriguing idea and even if like i said they they switch it and obviously he's not in this the, according to heiser there were drafts of it where he was innocent and the whole is he isn't he they said i think conceptually is interesting there's a couple issues with it one of the issues too is how many kids there are in in terms of the movie's overall concept in terms of wait a minute there's like 20 they all forgot yep the exact same amount of time and it's that many kids yeah and that's another situation which again they had the psychiatrist in the heiser draft which is a sort of thing i don't think they did this explicitly but it's like well that gives you an out they saw the same doctor, so maybe he did some technique to make them repress the memories or something. You have an out. That would have been funny if the movie actually started with like a snap of the fingers and all the kids going, what? And he goes, hey, okay, we're done here. Like, what happened? Yeah, and they all leave. Something like that. So, yeah. you know, so as it is, it's it's just coincidentally, 20 kids happen to not. Like, it's like They're like, why don't you remember your five? I remember some stuff when I was five. And across Very 20 little. people, probably a decent amount. But- I remember a lot when I was five. Granted, it's when my parents got divorced, so, you know, there's some touchstones there, but, you know. Fair enough. So it's one thing the movie doesn't actually, like, give you an out on. It's just, oh, they all forget. And then the parents wanted to forget, probably encouraged them to forget, but it's like, that's yeah. a big it, it is a deep, deep misunderstanding of DID and PTSD and all of this stuff that, that's very real. And this movie's like, ah, whatever. Atlanta Falcons. Well, let's know, be clear. It doesn't work. <laughs> the movie feels like a rough draft. Oh, yeah. The movie feels like it's like, here are the beats we're going to hit. And we're going to come back and fill those in later. And then they didn't. You know, it's like they, they just they go, all right, we need you here. You need to address this. You need to say that. This is the part where we, we explain that real quick. And they just hit all those things and have it, there's no organicness added to it. There's no life added to it. It is 100% just an outline of a film. And it's disappointing as hell because, like you said, you can feel all of that untapped potential at every step of the way. And and I tell you, because we, we talked about a lot of unbelievable shit in this film. That's like, yeah, oh, come on, you know, 20 kids. Fuck you. None of that's the least believable thing in this film. The least believable thing in this film is a pharmacy that it's open after dark. <laughs> <laughs> with a doctor there who can fill your prescription with an actual pharmacist. You know, yeah. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> that shit don't exist. <laughs> Fucking Walgreens closes at five. 
And they're not even open on weekends anymore. You get your prescriptions filled at Walgreens? Good luck. <laughs> Hope you like waiting. I watched this with Hannah. And by and far, her one thing she couldn't believe was, so they hear all this information. They find out that, you know, oh, you know, he's this guy. And here's what we think he did. And Im- immediately, you know, the one kid's like, oh, they totally made us, you know, tattle on this, you know, innocent guy. And it's all our fault. And he's mad now cause we, because we, we turned him in for something he didn't do. And she's like, based on what? Where do you get that idea? Why the hell would you not trust your parents? And like, and you have zero memories or any evidence to back up. And you're just like, nope, that's been innocent. Like, wait, where? Why? And his dad was the Kurgan, <laughs> who I trust with my life. <laughs> not my head, but my life. <laughs> no, look, my chemical romance is a dumb, dumb person in this film. And the, the only redeeming quality he gets is when he tries to go full the faculty on Freddy Krueger. He fucks it up completely. <laughs> but he tries. He tries. And my, my favorite moment is when they're like, all right, I'm going to go to sleep and pull him out. So you wake me up. And they're like, all right, let's go. And he immediately falls asleep. <laughs> Just immediately. <laughs> I, I, that, again, it's like if that's an overt nod to the original, because Johnny Depp does the same thing where he instantly is the shitty boyfriend who instantly, I, all I need you to do is stay awake. You got it. <laughs> falls asleep before she does. Hey, at least Quentin has the excuse of being up for the last four or five days. You know, it's it's not overly it's still hard. Still a to... useless sack of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but he does Pulp Fictioner, and that's pretty funny. <laughs> like I, I'm going to steal adrenaline to stay awake. I'm like, I'm not entirely sure that's how that works, but it might. Go ahead, try it. Why not? Very easy to steal drugs in this town. <laughs> yeah, certainly, yeah. Quentin has the thing. He immediately jumps. We were fine. We would have said anything. And it's like, yes, but again, it's not one kid saying so. it's. There are twenty one kids. T. Again, you would have said anything. But if there's enough commonalities among twenty kids telling the same story, and then to the the again the the whole thing about is Freddie Freddie not innocent? That whole question is that could be more interesting. If he was just pissed, if he was just like he was in the Jesse scene for the whole movie, where he's just like, you fucking, and, uh, it and would like have been occasionally so had like a cruel one liner, but instead we have constant overtly sexual taunting, licking Nancy's face. You're my number one. You smell different. Yeah, clearly this guy was innocent. Yep. It's so it's a potentially interesting thing if you had just made him piss, if you had stripped the sexual taunting element of it out. And it's like Anglin has made the point before where he thinks like sexual stuff is kind of inherent in Freddy because he's privy to your dreams and the voyeuristic element right. and whatnot. Yes. A, like Anglin made the point. I, you can strip it out for one movie, un, at least until the finale where you reveal he's actually guilty. Yep. In fact, that would probably make it more effective yep. if he busted it out. And there's the scene we get of Nancy in bed in the finale and him coming in would be more interesting if there was nothing like that leading up to it. And then all of a sudden we have it. Speaking of, alternate ending. Did anybody watch it? No. No. Way fucking better. It's <laughs> There's an ending in the Heiser draft, which is kind of like the, the version we get in the finished film. But uh, again, I'm sorry, it's been a little bit since I read it. So there, there are differences where it's, it's kind of a, in between the version in the finished film and then this alternate ending I'm about to talk about. This alternate ending, I guess it's available on the Blu-ray. I saw it on YouTube, but I guess it's on the Blu-ray for it if anyone checks out the Blu-ray. There's a scene, you know, where Freddie's got Nancy in bed and she's in the dress she used to wear and, and he comes in and he's rattling his fingers on the door. And also they cut the score way down in this sequence, at least on the version of it. So it's way creepier him rattling his fingers because there's not as much you know musical accompaniment around it. 
And so for the most part, it like at the beginning of it, it plays out what we see in the finished film where he's comes in and says, look at me, look at what you did to me and does all that stuff. But then after he says, look at what you did to me, he stands up and he says, I can make it like it once was. And he takes off his hat and his hat passes down past his face. And he's just Jackie Earl Haley. He's not burned anymore. It's just Jackie Earl Haley. Hmm. And so then he leans in and then the rest of the scene plays out. I think the dialogue is largely the same, except it's not being delivered by friendly. It's being delivered by him as Jackie Earl Haley. No makeup. So one, it's interesting because, of course, Freddie could do that. He could make himself just look yeah. like he used to. So it's neat to see them leaning into that. But it's so much creepier the rest of that scene where he just looks like a dude. Yep. And he's like, remember how he used to play? And he's just his natural voice, no like reverb added or anything. So it makes that whole part of it much creepier because now he can emote on top of the added trauma of your. It's not like you're seeing the scarred visage of your abuser. You're seeing your abuser look exactly the way he looked yep. you know, when you were a child. But also they do the same thing where they pull him into the real world, except now when he comes into the real world, he comes in as Jackie Earl Haley. Oh, wow. So A, he doesn't come in as this supernatural you know ish entity not as ostensibly it plays out as if he were a regular dude anyway with his hand getting cut off and whatnot but again the imagery is so much more potent when he's just a human the whole bit with kyle gallner quentin you, know, you said going off faculty that stuff isn't in there kyle he's he's taken out by a sequence i'll read real quick as far as why quentin is out of commission for this finale so instead it's nancy gets out of bed and again it is a human jackie earl haley and she completely beats the shit out of him <laughs> And then during the sequence, again, this is all on the Blu-ray, as she's beating him and he's kind of like cowering and she's taking it to her abuser, she says to him, look at me, look at what you did to me. She repeats the line he had oh, nice. in bed in terms of, and it, it, where it drives home the abuse, look at what you've done to me in terms of, again, someone confronting their abuser. So much better. And what's his response to this? And again, he's been cowering and he's, he's bleeding from being whooped and he starts to laugh. <laughs> and it's just this human Jackie Earl Haley laugh. And I forget what his line is. He's like, you're always being my number one or something like that. And, that, and so now, again, it is a human Jackie Earl Haley on fire. So now visually we have a repeat of exactly how he died, like complete to, to how he looked. And then it goes and then from there, it's, they go out into the ambulance. So it's not like, oh, this would have fixed everything, but it is significantly better. Yes. Then what we get, and my assumption, I haven't read anything on this. My knee-jerk guess is the studio said, kids are paying to see Freddy Krueger. You got to keep him Freddy Krueger for the duration of the finale. But it, that's it's a shame. There's all the obvious like thematic ways in which that's so much more interesting. But it's also creepier, I think. Yep. Is just seeing him be human and still acting that way out of this weird you know makeup setup. And it's Jackie or Haley, and he's really good, and he can emote and all this. So it's yeah, anyone who hasn't seen it, check it out on YouTube. I think it's notably better. Inherently, it's the monsters in the people next door that are more terrifying than the random boogeyman of the night. Yeah, yeah. by humanizing him, he becomes so much worse. Yeah, and and makes them confronting their abusers so much more interesting. Yeah, so much awesome. better. Whereas in, this, in what you get now is just them leaning into the abuse with no twist on it, nor redemption of the and it's just it's just slimier honestly without properly addressing it it just becomes problematic to the film as a whole 
It's not a great thing to use as a MacGuffin in a film that's not going to take it seriously. No, no, no. Not at all. So real quick, let me, I mentioned Quentin was at a commission for the finale. So real quick, I'm, I'm going to read. So this is how Quentin's dream originally goes. So in the finished film, we get one of the, the fun bits, which is, you know, he's looking down and he looks up and all of a sudden he's in the boiler room and he's like, ah, fuck. And Freddy shows up. And so at least Quentin, unlike Depp, Quentin realizes, ah, I fucked up. So <laughs> here's how that sequence originally went. So this is while Nancy is asleep and Quentin's sitting at her bedside and he's playing with a cell phone because again the cell phone has an alarm quick note why i'm reading this will become apparent interior boiler room night quentin rubs his face with his sleeve blinks checks his phone for the time he starts playing with the settings quentin alarm yes custom ringtone don't mind if i do at his feet nancy twitches in her sleep quentin blinks again then settles back in his chair quentin come on let's get this done a strange noise gets his attention what is that? He tries to sit up, but he can't move. He's stuck to the chair. When he tries to lift his arms, the fabric clings to him like sap. From the shadows, Freddy emerges. Freddy. That was my chair. Quentin. Shit, shit, shit! Freddy. I used to tell you stories in that chair. Freddy steps to the filing cabinet and opens a drawer. Freddy. You remember what scared you? Quentin. Fuck you, Freddy! Freddy pulls out a very large jar. Dozens of black shapes skitter inside the glass. He steps into the light, and we see what they are. Freddy. Spiders. Don't like that. Quentin pales. He stares at the jar in terror. Freddy. Especially the ones with enough venom to kill you. He smiles. Like these. Freddy shakes the jar, and the mass of spiders inside react like an angry swarm. Quentin. Don't. Don't. Do not do this! Freddy opens the lid and dumps the jar on Quentin. Interior boiler room night, parentheses, reality. Quentin, asleep in the chair, spasms and thrashes. Large red welts appear all over his face and hands, and his breathing turns shallow. Ooh. At his feet, Nancy slumbers restlessly. So, he's out of commission because he's had an allergic reaction to dream spider bites. So, I have two thoughts on, on this. One is, I actually began to like the bit in the finished film, with because we get the line, I'll be right back. Which, again, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it's in terms of capitalizing on dream imagery, it's kind of this funny thing where it's, again, it's, it's creepy because it, it does play on the idea that Freddy knows what you're afraid of and he can capitalize on that. So again, pulling out someone's fear that's in an Elm Street film or just in something dream is like he becomes a spider or pulls out a big spider. Now instead in this, he's like, I got a jar of these down at the corner store. And <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a mundane thing. But again, like, like Jake said, they've kind of, in some cases, play down the dream stuff. No, no, that that's fucking worse than a giant spider. It just is. The the chair feels like a callback to the uh, the Roach Motel. Yeah, it probably yeah, yeah, the sticks like sap. Yeah, yep. But I do like one of the things that they that they do well is you know in terms of like the way Freddy's damage to them in the dream manifests basically verbatim in the real world. You know they've been that that's looser in in some of the sequels and stuff. So in this, I like the idea of it's not a slash that appears. You just see this actor lying there and all of a sudden you see red welts appear on him from nowhere. So that's interesting that it's even an allergic reaction manifests yep. even from a dream. So yeah, but I had to read the spider bit. So I'm <laughs> sorry, Jake. That's fucked up. I don't like it. Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read. Uh, I, I won't get into, I won't read one of the longer dream sequences because they're, they're lengthy. What I'll say is for anyone who's curious about them, the script's not hard to find. Go check it out this particular draft of it 
but the dream sequences well say is they read more like dream sequences from the original series like when quentin comes up when he's swimming in the pool when he, and he comes up in this he comes up straight into the the retaining pool from the abandoned factory yard in the draft he he first pops up and he's in an ocean like he's in the middle of the pacific and there's no one around and he goes ah fuck Oof. he goes back down and he comes back up and then he's in the retaining thing or jesse's death jesse's death was much more interesting where he's actually having a confrontation with his cellmate because his cellmate keeps fucking with him <laughs> and it's just going like boo ha and the guy's like oh what are you gonna do watch your step fish jesse's like i've had enough and jesse goes to step towards him and he sinks into the floor like sinks all the way through and he's in dirt and then all of a sudden the walls of a coffin pop up around him and then oh the, nice and like a doorknob appears it's one it's a recurring thing freddie puts them all in coffins at various points they're more elaborate. So much more elaborate dream sequences. Much more elaborate dream sequences. Much closer to something from the original. And I think they could have done stuff that's again different and pushed it in a little bit of a different direction. But they are more interesting in Heiser's original draft, and especially the the road sequence, which we're about to touch on. I hey, look, I like the dream sequences. This one, they were short, sweet, to the point. None of this fucking around. Well, one bit they cut that Nick would have appreciated that I'll read real quick. So this is during the the Pied Piper exposition sequence, which also makes more sense in the original draft as far as Freddie specifically leading him to the Pied Piper of Hamlin. So they've got the Pied Piper storybook. This isn't long. Nancy opens the storybook. A richly colored illustration shows the Piper leading children out of town. The Piper wears a striped shirt of two contrasting primary colors. A Pied shirt. Nancy. Children is definitely a theme in my nightmares, too. And a house or a school. I can't tell which. Quentin. Or maybe it's our childhood. Maybe that's the thing we have in common. Otherwise, why us? Nancy, sipping coffee. How long have you lived here? Quentin. I was born here. Why do you think I'm so eager to get out? Grabs another book. Maybe it was like a summer camp we all went to. Nancy. I skipped those. Almost went to Crystal Lake one year, but no. Ah. So there, there is a brief Friday the 13th nod. A quick, Nick was talking about the character stuff earlier, and I might have touched on it then, but again, more of that in this draft. Not a ton, and again, I think it needed to be fleshed out and punched up, but there are a lot more character moments. There almost couldn't not be. Not be, yeah. <laughs> That's, and, and it does help. Like I'm, I'm assuming the logic here was we needed to be lean and mean, and it needs to move fast, because again, kids don't want kids want to get the dream sequences, and it's like, nope. It's very much a Michael Bay film. Yeah. Part of again, I was just rewatching the original. Is like as goofy a line as "Hey, up yours with a turning lawnmower," you know, up here with a whirling lawnmower, whatever it is. Is as goofy a line, a touch like that that adds character goes so far so in terms far. of your engagement in what comes in between the kill stuff. They highlight it a little bit later too in this because there's the line where he's, he's talking to her, you know, I, all those times I invited you out, why did you never come out? She's like, well, maybe you noticed I'm kind of a loser. And I'm like, how the fuck would we know? Yeah, I know, right? Your entire <laughs> tribute is art. Yep. In the Heiser draft, Quentin's thing is he's a podcaster, but no one listens to his podcast except Nancy. She's the only listener. Aww. And when they're in this car sequence, I won't read the full car sequence, but I'll, I'm going to talk about it. They So this is after they leave the pharmacy and they're driving they're making chit chat and in the finished film we get like two lines of like what's your favorite color blue you know you want to go on a date sure then all of a sudden freddie in the road like a possum oh shit and then crash that's it it was a much more extended here i'll, I'll read this bit not long i'll just read their dialogue before freddie shows up interior mustang continuous action quentin drives white knuckles on the wheel 
Nancy hugs herself in the passenger seat, absently rubbing the bandage around her wounded arm, which she's got the burn from the cigarette lighter. After a quiet beat, Nancy. Hey, talk to me. Quentin. About what? Nancy. Anything to keep me awake? Quentin. Okay, let's see. What music are you listening to? What do you like? Nancy. If you looked at my iPod, it would look eerily familiar. I don't think I told you, but I listen to your podcast every week. Quentin. Oh, so you're the one. Nancy smiles. <laughs> Nancy. You got me hooked on some great stuff. It's what I listen to when I paint. Quentin. Get out of town. Really? Nancy. It's true. I've been working on a piece for you inspired by your latest playlist. I love that track by Justice. Quentin smiles. For the first time in many hours, they enjoy regular teen conversation. It feels good to feel normal just for a few moments. Quentin. I wanted to ask you something earlier. Nancy. Ask me. Quentin. When this is all over, and we finally slept soundly for, like, a week straight, I was wondering if you'd... Nancy. Immediately. Yes. Quentin laughs. Quentin. Well, that was fast. Nancy. Wait, did, did you just ask me out? Quentin's smile vanishes. Quentin. Uh, yes? Nancy. Oh, okay. Then yes, yeah. Quentin. Wait, what did you think I asked you for? Nancy, suddenly bashful. I thought you asked if I wanted to have sex with you. Quentin. Oh. A beat. Oh! So I have another question for you now, oddly enough. <laughs> Nancy grins. Nancy. How odd, yes. <laughs> there we go. The Mustang's headlights illuminate a hitcher on the side of the road. As Quentin passes by, it's clearly Freddy holding out his gloved hand. Then the sequence plays out, and it's basically, they see Freddy in the rearview mirror, he pulls Nancy's seatbelt, he stabs her, and he's doing all this stuff to Nancy while Quentin's trying to drive. But he's in the car, he just apparates in the car. And then they crash, and part of the point of them crashing was they both get concussions. And they come out and they're like, we're definitely concussed, so now we have even less control over potentially micronapping because our brains are fucked up. So it adds another element of danger to the finale that they're both coming out of this car wreck. And they said much more action in there. So I read the chunk of that and, and outlined the flow of it because Eric Kaiserer, one of the screenwriters, had a tweet thread about his experiences on this film. So this is back on March 17th of 2019. And just talking about you know his memories of working on the film. And so he mentions, as Brad Miska might remember, the draft that we thought was going to be shot was different in many ways, some big and some subtle. This happens a lot, but I still have memories of arriving on set and recognizing nothing from the script on the shooting schedule. On my first day on set, a crew member told me, In this intro scene for the two leads, we decided there wasn't enough dialogue for them at this party, so we took some dialogue from page 87 and put it here. Ugh. In case you were wondering, this is not how it works. And that was one of so many things I saw undone. One of the New Line guys and I worked hard to sidestep tropes in the script. An example, Freddy appearing while two characters are driving a car. The trope we've seen a thousand times is, Freddy is standing in the middle of the road, and they have to swerve. Let's be smarter. And we were. He can appear anywhere. And we have the advantage that you don't know which of the two is dreaming, driver or passenger. So we had Freddy rise up in the back seat, taunt Quentin, driving, as he gores Nancy through the chair, blood spraying the windshield, Nancy screaming at Quentin, wake up, as he snaps to realize he drifted off while driving and the two crash into a tree. Now they both have concussions. To complicate matters, when they realize the way to kill him 
is to fall asleep and then wake up once they have hold of Freddy. What do I see on that night? Freddy standing in the middle of the road. There are a thousand reasons why things like this happen, but with the right team in place, you have collaborators who plus up the project versus make it a different thing than what it was originally designed to be. And with so many scenes that pay homage to Wes Craven and a story that stay close to the original, you'd think it would be considered a remake by everyone involved. But nope. For credit purposes, another writer got it classified as a sequel, which infuriates me even now. Why? Because it meant Wes Craven was not given a story credit oh. for characters and a world he invented. For a plot twist akin to Psycho that was his idea, you don't realize Nancy is the heroine for the first act, I petitioned to have him included and lost. All of this is a very long-winded way of saying, yes, this should be remade. I'm not advocating my script from back then, but just have it made by people who have a love and expertise of not just Nightmare on Elm Street, but horror. There are some amazing voices today for it. So that was a little thing on the making. So he specifically calls out the car sequence as an example of huh. something. Well, we're going to have him stand in the middle of the road. Okay, great. Yeah, something that could have been more interesting and was done. And again, I think, and Heiser has a follow-up. Somebody mentioned, said, I'm genuinely curious. Why wasn't your script used? And Heiser's response was, the director had other ideas. And that's all he said. And again, there are elements of it in the finished film that I think are improvements on the script. I mentioned the, the alternate ending that was filmed versus what was in the draft I read. A lot of Freddy being angrier and being you know meaner. Like He is darker and meaner in Heiser's draft, but it's even more so in the finished film. There are things where I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I see there are interesting ideas here, but you, there's so much that could be done. Again, it, the problem is the movie's just lame. There's so much that could have been done to like capitalize on stuff and be genuinely scary. And they just don't. And, or, and, and it's all just lame. Yeah. So much setup, so much potential, all wasted. But in the end, I still didn't hate it. I just, just didn't. I can't tell if Eric is frozen or mad. Did I miss the Boston sign? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. It comes down to I liked Freddy. It worked for me. Yeah, it's it's. There's plenty of flaws with it, but in overall, it worked for me. I liked that they downplayed the dream sequences, which is just my own ah, thing. It's the point of the freaking. <laughs> it's a nightmare on Elm Street, you jackass. <laughs> is wrong with you oh my god ah you broke me look we watched like a dozen goddamn dream movies man this is a dream movie that was like embarrassed to be a dream movie it's like dc comic superhero films but <laughs> sideways what what are the dream sequences well he goes out back you know it's like what the that's the equivalent you know it's an app comparison jake they have the same color palette oh so. god <laughs> yeah pretty much son of a bitch but i you know i <laughs> I don't. I just didn't hate it. Like I didn't love it. It's not something I'm gonna run rush out to, to buy. It feels there's an element of pointlessness to it, and you know that we talked about yeah, the whole thing. Remaking it is a good idea, but <laughs> you know that's the way. But I just you know they they changed it enough that it's like all right, you took a swing. I don't know. I just but didn't they, hate it. They didn't change it enough though. They they had a framework for changing it. They just, just right. didn't come through for on. sure. They they should have gone further in one direction or other instead of trying to split the difference. Any any direction but in the end you know the, the thing that everybody you know most likes about the original series is freddy and in this i liked freddy and that that was enough really to keep me from hating this film or even really disliking it again i didn't like it 
I mean, come on. My notes, they call the one guy chemical romance and the other guy fucking 30 seconds to Mars the entire time. Or Thomas Decker and Kyle Gold. But that's just, that. that's nothing but you hating on youngsters. I mean, it's like, <laughs> they they look like artists. Oh, fuck them. No, it's, the, <laughs> it's very specifically the eyeshadow and their haircuts and that they irritate me. But they irritate me because they're both so useless, not because they're like bad characters. I mean, they are, but that's not. Anyway, I just, look. Everything you guys said is right. It, it just in the end, it, you know, Freddie was pretty cool in this. It's it was fine. Would be the the best I could say of it. But I just I just didn't hate it. I'd like to say I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. But I'm also mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I I wanted as I said, I, every every movie we go into this, I I go into wanting to like the film because say I you're like mad at me, stuff. Nick. Say you're mad at me. I'm not lying. I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> I'm just lying to you by saying I'm not mad. You know, and I went in this with a little bit of extra motivation to like it, just to be, you know, <laughs> contrarian. And I, I didn't like it. Again, I just didn't hate oh. it. That in and of itself is a statement on how shitty it was. You're grading it on a curve, and it's still. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the like what's the the fucking Futurama joke? The the beige planet man. If you see my wife, tell her I said hello. This is the, the tell her I said hello of horror remakes. What kind of man can go neutral? neutral. <laughs> it's fucking very, despite the color palette, the whole shit just beige. <sighs> but I, I just didn't, I just didn't hate it. I, I wish, like we've talked about, it, I wish I let Jackie Earl Haley really kind of lean into the the anger and rage and stuff instead of trying to make him like a little too original, Freddy, but. You know, whatever. It makes me interested to see the other Platinum Dunes remakes as we do those mm, franchises. Because uh, there's there's uh, what four or five of like what was the uh, Texas Chainsaw Hitcher Friday the Thirteenth and Amityville. Yeah, yeah. The, the Ryan Reynolds Amityville was. My brother loves that one. We'll have to have him on for that because he likes that movie. Okay, yeah, I've seen that one. The stepfather one wasn't wasn't them. No, that one the Platinum no. Dunes. No. no, because the stepfather remake was kind of similar in in. It's pointless. I mean, that one was worse, and the soundtrack was hilarious in that one. But, but right around the same time period, it was the yeah. remake old all the '80s horror three weeks in 2010. Everything but Phantasm. Everything yep. but Phantasm. Yep. Hellraiser and Ten Children of the Corn are still rocking that directed video market. Leave them alone. I'm fucking over my cold dead body. Will you make a <laughs> you know remake of it? <laughs> but yeah. So in the end, yeah, it's. it's it had Clancy Brown. Look, if you see this movie, tell it I said hello. I'll give you that. It had, it had Clancy Brown. It had Clancy Brown with a lovely vigilante justice sweater. I love the sweater <laughs> he's wearing and with, with the, the collared shirt underneath. It's like, oh, dressed up nice. And Rooney Mara is, as Nancy was fine. All I'm going to say is that I read somewhere that Rooney Mara hated being in this movie so much she almost quit acting. And fell back on the millions of her family's money because they own the Giants. I mean, <laughs> do they? Oh yeah, the Wellington Mara owned the. I think he's he's passed away since, but the the family owned the New York Giants. Huh? Good enough. Yeah, she she ain't exactly coming up from nothing. Just all I'm saying is, I feel her. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate this movie too. <laughs> Look, if I had billions of dollars to my name, I would probably be more willing to abandon my chosen profession too i'm glad she stuck with it like we've seen she's certainly done 
Yeah, she's yeah, fine. Great stuff they, since then. Yeah, I didn't love the dragon tattoo movies, but she's fine in them. Yeah, cast isn't the 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 movie's issue. Failing to capitalize on them is very much the yes. movie's issue. If I come out of this lukewarm on Clancy Brown, that's bad. Yep. <laughs> that funeral in the beginning could have been a little less blonde, but other than that, in terms of casting, I thought it was all right. Because like this is Ohio, man. There ain't that many L.A. blondes in Ohio. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give it that. That was the other thing. The license plates are all Ohio, and Connie Britton's phone number is a uh, Cleveland area code. Mm-hmm. And okay. you see her phone number on the the hospital form. Nice. So that that was better attention to detail than um, I don't remember which of the originals had all the California plates. I think it was the third one, second or the third one. Uh, Maybe it was the fourth. It was gosh, most of them. Remember, <laughs> it was a lot of them. So yeah, that's about all I've got to say on this. I you know it's. I've said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could keep going on random things, but, yeah, I'll, I'll but granted, I didn't. You know, I didn't end up having recurring nightmares about it either. So you know, I guess my opinion's a little less well informed than yours, Eric. <laughs> like I said that's completely unfair to this movie in terms of level of vitriol for the fact that I had two months of nightmares about something that was deeply traumatizing to me. And it reminded me how this movie failed spectacularly to capitalize (laughs) on deeply traumatizing stuff. But in and of itself, and as much as you can look at this in a bubble, it's very lame. There are things about it. I like, I said, the cast is at least proven in other things that they are quite talented. Absolutely. Casting is not the issue. Haley is, I think in some ways legitimately very good. And you know, they have an, an overall approach that I think was interesting in terms of going darker. Some of the things they try and do as far as adding peppering new things in are interesting, like the micronaps. I can't believe we got through this whole thing of and not once was there a micronaps, micronauts bit. I was like, what if Jake's gonna bring up the micronauts at some point? But no. I look, I'm exhausted, so I'm okay. trying trying to keep away from I, in fact <laughs> this could all be a dream as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so in and of itself, I think it's a really lame mid-2000s. I say mid-2000s. It feels like it's mid-2000s. It's not. It's 2010. But yeah, I think it's it's a lame, underwhelming slasher horror film with a lot of bad tropes of its time. My vitriol for it comes from taking in a broader context. It was a good idea to remake it with a lot of opportunity, and it failed spectacularly. <laughs> Nope. I, you know, in, in so many respects and failed to capitalize on a lot of things. And I'll say in interest of fairness, too, I, I will give them Robert Englund's performance as Freddie is so iconic. So clear, I, I will give them, you know, coming in, there was I'm sure there was a little bit of wariness from you know, fan base because uh, Robert Englund is Freddie. And so, you know, folks were going to be very you know, critical of how you portrayed Kruger. So that was something to be mindful of. And again, that that I think speaks even more to Haley's performance that. More people didn't come out of it going, they fucking ruined Freddy. At least I don't you know, think that was a major complaint. It was mostly just, movie sucks, which I agree. But um, <laughs> And it gets even more, like I said, I, I have less frustration seeing it now than I did, which again is funnier since I like the original more. But what does make it worse is reading stuff, like reading that Heiser draft. And it was like, I know why you made some of the changes that you did, but some of this stuff just makes so much more sense and is so much more interesting. Like having Nancy be just like, I don't think she has really any lines until like maybe one or two brief things. It's, it's not until she really starts talking to Quentin. She has this bit where she she's, says, she says something at the funeral. Well, I mean, in the Heiser draft, so she has even, oh, even less yeah. there because she's Chris is doing more like investigation and, and doing stuff to try and stay awake. 
And it's like Nancy's constantly on the periphery trying to get her attention. And so when Chris's mom is leaving and she's like, all right, I'm leaving. I got a red eye. Lockdown. No boys. No nothing. No guests. And we get that in the finished film, the truncated version. When she opens the door, Nancy's there. And Nancy's like, hi, I'm here to see Chris. And her mom says, oh, Chris, you know, no, she she can't see anyone right now. And Nancy says, oh, can you give her this? Mom says, sure. She takes the bag and Nancy leaves. The mom goes back inside, hands Chris the bag and says, and that girl's on the list of people who can't come in while I'm away. Because Nancy is written as being a little more like socially awkward goth the way she's written. It, it parents, everyone gets like a one to two word description in the original script. Like for Chris, it's parentheses next door cute. That's the entire description for her. And I think Nancy's was near goth, I think, is is all it said for. But she comes off as even more socially awkward than she is in the finished film. But so the mom says, all right, that girl can't come in the house. And Chris is like, I, I, I barely fucking know her. And then Chris looks down at what the bag is, and it's chocolate covered espresso beans. And so it's one of those where, again, Nancy is obviously more cognizant of some shit's up. She knows at least that Chris is trying to stay awake. Because also Chris is like chugging coffee and stuff at school. So that's so Nancy keeps coming in kind of from the periphery before she really takes center stage. Whereas in the the finished film, again, we get things like where they repeat the wall sequence just randomly. So Nancy can appear earlier and for us to do a CG effect that looks like shit. I can keep going on this. I won't. But yeah, I do not like this film in and of itself. I I really don't like it in a broader context, but I am glad we watched it. I do not like this on a train. I do not (laughs) like this on a plane. (laughs) Green stripes on sweater. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I am thrilled that we talked about it though, and thrilled that we talked about the whole Elm Street series. So yay! Yay. We completed our, well, it's, I guess it's our third franchise, but the other two we wrapped up in, the other three. We wrapped up in one episode. Yep. <laughs> Didn't take fun. us a year to cover paranormal activity. Things have changed, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry for keeping you guys up, but ironically enough, like I said, we're all on the verge of... How, how else could we finish this but by struggling to but stay awake? But by struggling to stay awake. But yeah, there is a lot to talk about with this film. And yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to, to get into it. And, you know, the the review could have easily just been, you know, but I'm glad, glad we got some more. <laughs> more substance well and i i'm excited to be able to show our versatility as a podcast because normally nick gets mad at me for not liking things and now he's <laughs> mad at me for liking things <laughs> we we go both ways <laughs> love it well we'll see where you land on our next film because next up for us is our holiday episode Yay! which is not black christmas too right right it's not black christmas right? too no not this time now we got to get Ed back on for when we get back to Black Christmas. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to do that to Ed. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll go ahead and tell folks exactly what it is. It's we're doing The Leech, which is a brand new release from this year from Eric Pennykoff, the writer director of Sadistic Intentions, and we can't pass up a Jeremy Gardner film on this pod, so we get to talk Jeremy Gardner some more right here at the end of 2022. So that's going to be next up. Then after that's going to be the winner of our Robert England poll. That's probably going to end up being more of our first episode of January instead of our last episode of December. Just the way schedule works. Again, we're tired. <laughs> We've done a lot recently. <laughs> Folks are moving. <laughs> stuff busy. It's the holidays. But I do hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I hope everyone enjoyed all the Elm Street episodes. We had a blast going through this franchise. This really did. Really fun. Again, big thanks to all our guests who joined us. It's doing this particular franchise has been really special. So, yeah, I, this was a delight. And again, it's going to be fun watching you try and rustle up guests for Children of the Corn. 
Hey, you want to be on an episode? Yeah, we're doing Children of the Click. <laughs> hey, you blocked me by accident. <laughs> Children of the Eight, the Poppinine. <laughs> I don't know what they're fucking called. I never looked them up. I assume they get into corn puns that, at some point, right? <laughs> I can't wait to do that franchise. Holy fuck. Yeah, well, when we get into next year, we'll see what our next longer term project is. But yeah, in the meantime, thank everyone so much for listening to this. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Scary Stuff Podcast on Instagram, Letterboxd, Mastodon, Tumblr, maybe some other stuff by the time this comes out. If so, Future or Eric will splice it in. We're at Scary Stuff Pod on Twitter. And if you like what you heard from this episode or any other Elm Street episodes, if you want to leave us a review on whatever your preferred pod platform is, that'd be great. But most importantly, we just really appreciate you taking the time to listen to all this and just hope you had fun. We'll be back soon with a holiday episode. But in the meantime, this is Eric signing off. This is Nick saying to this movie, now why don't you just fucking die? I don't, I don't even know how to follow that. This is Jake saying, hey, tell him I said hello. <laughs> night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good dreams, everyone. It's a nightmare on Elm Street, you jackass!